Hi, my name is Ben. My name is Bran. And this is Ben, ben and Bran See a Movie. Welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome to our second to last week in November where we are talking. I just talking realized about, yeah. how much that intro sounds like a, almost like a kid's show sort of thing. I got Big Bear in the Big Blue House Did vibes. Big Little Bear? Big. Oh, bear, it is. I thought, bear, yep. Bear in the Big, big, big bear, bear in the Big no, Blue House? No, the vibes were big and they were related to how Bear in the Big Blue House it. Is it and Bear? Welcome in the, to the podcast. Is it Bear in the Blue House? Bit. Bear in the Big, big Blue, Blue House. House. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah Bear in the, the Big Blue yeah, House. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast, Welcome everybody. to the show, guys. We are in our second to last week of November yes. for the show, Sci-Fi and Conflict. Family and Conflict with like a sci-fi... I, yeah. Yeah, a, sci-fi a couple, family conflict. Yeah, a couple, ter- a couple terms kind of like... Thrown yeah, together. Meld, melded their it's way a, in. It's a melting pot. Yes, which exactly. is very suited for Thanksgiving. It's kind of a hey. mismatch. Yeah, of ex- yeah. There we ideas go. <laughs> that we totally did not come up with on the fly. Yes, we. Yeah, it didn't. We it thought didn't about just, like, like spawn out of nowhere. We were. It like, didn't hey. just spawn because we're like we should probably talk about the Last Jedi and Dune. Yeah. And then we realized we only had one extra week in November. And we're like, well, I guess we should probably make a theme. Yeah. So yeah, I, this it, was planned. Speaking of uh, family and conflict and sci-fi November schedule, uh, we're switching it up again this week. The, the movie that we're talking about this week was not on the schedule at all. Yeah, it was uh, not on the schedule. We, it was a last second edition. Yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, so this is your wild card for the week or for the month. Uh, when we said that Tron Legacy might not happen this month, we were very serious. About yeah, it, it's not. <laughs> if happening we can't this schedule month, it, we yeah. we can't do it until we can schedule it. This is one. This is one that kind of needs to happen in real life with all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be me, you, Josh, Whitney again, who we're we'll not seeing back. as much as we initially thought this month. He'll he still will be, be on back too. next week. Yeah, he'll be back next week. Uh, just spaced out a little bit more, which is good for the audience. Yes. and then Very uh, good for a <laughs> detox, as I call it. My friendship with Josh, my longest friend of like close to 10 years. But detox for the audience isn't the worst. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the last person that we need to have for Tron is my brother. Because uh, I think is Tron he Legacy... Real? I've met him like twice, but is he actually real? <laughs> yeah, yes, not he's just a real you person. Walking back and forth right, really it's me. quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's me putting on a mask really quickly and then just like moving so fast to fool a a camera that captures in a sixtieth of a second. Yeah, I move it's at just, 120 frames. Just confusing, per second. man. Just confusing. I yeah. can't confirm or deny anything that you just said. <laughs> but regardless. Last week was a pretty big success for us. Our last Jedi episode is doing very well right now. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for the support, guys. And we're just going to take a minute. If you're listening, guys, we always say it, but please, we really appreciate it if you take a second. Like, comment on our Instagram, Twitters, whatever. Or comment on iTunes feed. Mm-hmm. Like, comment, subscribe, guys. It Rate just, five stars. Yeah. Follow us on our <laughs> – really just like on this podcast, guys. If you're just listening and you're not following – Please just give us a follow real quick. Like, <laughs> please do. Please clap. Uh, yeah, I, Jeb Bush, please follow. <laughs> uh, a few of my uh, coworkers, I, I told them that I do a, a movie podcast, and they all kind of were like, oh, haha, that's kind of funny. And I was like, hey, don't make fun. We It, it was the week after we did the Halloween episode with, mm-hmm. with Chris. 
and I was like, hey, we just interviewed Chris Durand, who played Michael Myers in Halloween H2O. And they were like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're legit. All right. We're legit. That's yeah. the shocking thing to we're, everybody. Yeah, we're, t- we're doing our best to be legit. It's kind of like shocking that it's like, oh, we actually like have something going on. Yeah. It's weird to both of us. Yeah. Where we're it, like in our meetings and we're just like, how? <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's weird that we're able to have like sort of... I, I don't want to I don't want to sound too self-aggrandizing, but especially last week was like a really good week. It was I was listening to the episode I listen to the episodes every week, not because I'm like trying to boost our listens, which I mean is kind I of do. a side effect. Yeah, I do. It's kind of a side effect. But I've I, listened to this episode twenty I, times. Yeah, I listened to. <laughs> Out of the very large number. Hey, don't put out the number out there. Sorry. We're going to need to bleep that one out. (laughs) Number bleep. I'm sorry. I like transparency. Uh, But I've listened. I listened to last week's episode on The Last Jedi, and it was like kind of satisfying to hear how it, it felt like a conversation that other people on YouTube have had that I respect mm. those kinds of people, I felt like we were able to have a pretty nuanced conversation. And again, I know that I'm kind of like tooting my own horn here, tooting our horns. I don't like that phrase. Yeah, you're blowing our horns. <laughs> Stop. Uh, but yeah, I, it was it was a fun episode to talk about because we, we did heavily disagree on it. Uh, I hope that you guys agree that... It was a good episode to listen to, at least. Yeah, we hope we did justice yeah, we to hope a we did really justice. topic that got really toxic really quick on the internet. Yeah. That was what we specifically we were talking about. Like, how do we keep this, like, nuanced and, like, validate each of our points? Yeah. But while respecting the other ones and, like, disagreeing but not in an angry or... Mm-hmm. Anything like that. It was clearly a critique of something and then us offering counterpoints like, this is why I don't agree with you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and the few times that we did were, like, obviously jokes. Yeah. I I think I said at one point, like, I'll take the W on that one. Mm -hmm. Obviously a joke. (laughs) I know that Ben knew that it was a joke. I cried my eyes out after. (laughs) That joke really affected me in my mental health. He couldn't get to sleep that night. Yeah. Sorry, man, I didn't make it a safe space. But this week, we are talking the recently released Netflix film in May 2021 is when it came out. May 2021? I believe so. Maybe April 2021. It came out this year for sure, though. Yeah, April April 23rd, 2021. The Mitchells versus The Machine and Branson. Yes. Uh, yeah, enough of the talking about Last Jedi and, yeah. uh, and boosting ourselves yeah, up. Yeah, give us some context on... All right, the Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, like Ben mentioned, this came out April twenty third, twenty twenty one, on Netflix. This is a Netflix exclusive. It was directed by Michael Rianda, produced by Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, Love and them. Kurt Albrecht. Uh, you might recognize Phil and Chris as the production duo. They're they're also writers, and they've directed a few things as well. Oh yeah, they're behind the Lego Movie. I believe Lego Movie, the second one. I don't think they direct it, but they're involved they're pro- in producing yeah, and produced. I think writing. They're involved in the Jump Street series. Yeah, 21 and 22. They uh, were attached to the solo film yes, that never ended up. That did end up happening, but not with them. Mm-hmm. They did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. One and two, which are excellent. And they did 
Spider-Verse. Right, which I would argue is their one of their crown jewels. It's to me they don't direct it, but they are heavily involved in it. And when yeah. the Oscar happens, the Oscar goes to them as well. Yes. So they're like they're right there in that film. Mm-hmm. And to me that's the I mean it's transparency anyone who knows me that's their crown jewel to me yeah, it's, it's the perfect movie in my it's, opinion it's excellent it's such a great movie uh but that's not what we're talking about we will talk about that someday we will we're coming real soon to that. <laughs> yes so mitchell's versus the machines uh this stars abby jacobson as katie mitchell alex hirsch uh michael rionda uh that's not correct aaron mitch wait michael rionda voices aaron well well uh danny mcbride as rick Olivia Coleman, Maya Rudolph, uh, Eric Andre, which is such a great yeah, cast. Beck, Beck Bennett, Conan yeah. O'Brien. Fred Armisen. Fred Armisen and... Uh, Chrissy Teigen, John Chrissy Legend. Chrissy Teigen and John Legend. And then finally, uh, the basketball player who's on the Nets, Blake Griffin. Yes, Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin. Yes. Uh, so there's quite a few fairly big names uh, attached to this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, just short of two hours long, pretty highly rated, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. And here is the short little synopsis. Young Katie Mitchell embarks on a road trip with her proud parents, younger brother, and beloved dog to start her first year at film school. But their plans to bond as a family soon get interrupted when the world's electronic devices come to life to stage an uprising. With help from two friendly robots, the Mitchells must now come together to save one another and the planet from the new technological revolution. Uh, the budget for this film, uh, just the last thing, the budget for this film was estimated 50 to 100 million. No box office because it wasn't released in theaters, but I'm wondering now if there is even public knowledge for what Netflix it, doesn't even. It's not too, really. They're too private about that stuff. We yeah. really don't get any numbers. Yeah, it's very All that we know is that's like the top five animated stream thing on Netflix is all that's been really released on it. Yeah. Which Again, is, what that number means, a little unknown, but you can at least know, you can infer that means it was pretty popular. Yeah. And kids' movies are always very popular on Netflix. Oh, yeah, naturally. Uh, okay, so with that out of the way, Ben, would you like to start our discussion off with your hill to die on? Yeah, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I think that The Mitchells versus The Machines, it was this highly rated family comedy uh, made by Sony Studios. And ultimately, I saw it this morning, like this morning today, mm-hmm. and I ended up really liking it, even if I thought it was a little kiddish and generic for me. Mm-hmm. I still enjoyed watching it. Yeah. It was a little overhyped for me. Mm. Just because I had heard so much about it. Right. And you're going into it with the expectation that it's of like the Lego movie and Spider-Verse. And yeah. And I had this like, you know, are, I like are you, Phil are Lord, you, Chris Miller. Are you a big fan of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? I've never seen them. Oh. I, I saw the first one when I was fairly young and I did, remembered not liking it, but I was mm-hmm. also like 10. Mm-hmm. The, the first one's excellent. Uh, yeah. The second one's pretty good as well, but the first one's great. It's but, very fun. And like for me, and I've always said it for me, animation, I have to like the art style. Yeah. To like really enjoy the movie like really like have a reason to like want to see it yeah it's got to be it's got to be something special and this art style and we'll get into it more in our discussion this isn't one that gravitates to me 
Mm-hmm. Like this level of animation isn't my cup of tea is that's, what I'll say for now. That's fair. Uh, all right. I, so we there is there is a little bit of conflict then on this on this episode. Not as much as yeah. Last Jedi, not to bring it up again. Uh, but here's my hill. Uh, Mitchell's versus the machines is a near seamless blend of the styles. The styles. Uh, it's a very important distinction. Seamless blend of the styles of Into the Spider-Verse and Scott Pilgrim with a dash of Looney Tune antics. Uh, this movie is gosh dang fun. It's absolutely hilarious. It's excessively creative. And even with a few little problems here and there, a few, uh, I guess, cliche story beats, this movie still manages to be truly heartfelt and all those things that I mentioned before. I I have fun with this movie every time I watch it. Yeah. I, I've watched it a couple times now, at and least that, twice. That's one part where we'll agree on, that mm-hmm. this movie is endearingly fun. Yes. It's like kind of impossible to not deny that this movie is really fun. Yeah. If the, And as far as like the comedy goes, I would you agree that this is a really funny movie? I would agree that there is a lot of jokes that hit. Mm -hmm. There are some that, not sophomoric, Mm -hmm. but a little too childish for my taste. Yeah. But none of the jokes were offensively dumb or stupid. Yeah. Which can kind of be, it never felt like it was talking down to an audience, which sometimes becomes the issue with kids' movies when you're dumbing it down for a child. Right. This never does that. It yeah, does, it, it doesn't it fall has into enough the jokes. Yeah, it has the jokes for uh, that the kids will enjoy it, but adults can enjoy this movie as well pretty easily. Right. It's not the Minions sort of thing where it's just a bunch of wacky colors and antics on the screen. I like the Minions. <laughs> really? Yeah, I like the Minions. The movie? The first one, yeah. Oh well, Despicable Me is Despicable Me is actually quite a good. No, movie. I like Despicable Me, Despicable Me Two, mm-hmm. and Minions for like the first half of it. I really liked when the Minions are all like working for like bad guys. Really? Yeah, dude, I loved when they're just like working for Napoleon. <laughs> it's hysterical. All right, that's a conversation. Yeah, for that's another a conversation time. for another time. Uh, I just stared at Ben for like a solid couple seconds. Yeah, I know it was a pretty. Notice pause. Yeah, I can't. Anyway, a conversation for another time. Uh, I really love the comedy in this movie. If for every joke that didn't land with me, then in the next couple jokes, there was one that made me laugh out loud. I laugh out loud. I laughed out loud quite a few times in this viewing. With comedy, it's so important to like the characters. Yeah. Or not even necessarily like but enjoy being in the character's presence. Yeah. Is really, because so there are comedies where it's you can look at them objectively, like these people are the worst, but you like can still laugh along with them. Mm-hmm. This one, you like the characters. Yes. Thus, that means that the comedy is easier not to relate to, mm-hmm. but to just have an emotional response to, because you're just invested in these characters and their journey and who they are. So you root for them, which yeah. makes the comedy easier to root for. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you mentioned that they're uh, relatable, which is a point that I actually kind of want to get into because mm. I this is a movie that I actually quite strongly relate to, mm. uh, not just because of 
me being a, a media arts major mm. and like now recently I've I've like started to transition into marketing with the at the company I work for. Uh, so I I naturally really appreciate Katie and her eccentricities as a character. She's yeah. an oddball who's into film and editing and making she's stuff. She's us. Yeah. She's one of us. It yeah. feels like she's very much of our world. Yeah, she makes it she makes it for herself first, mm-hmm. you know. And I I respect that a lot. It's one of the reasons why I love Norm Macdonald so much. Mm. Rest in peace, Norm. Uh, he, all his comedy was for himself first and if you enjoyed it mm-hmm. great yeah and i pretty much enjoyed it every time mm-hmm. uh and and katie's that same way uh, but then more so than that uh i i find a lot of parallels with katie and her dad and me and my dad or my dad and me my dad and i my dad and i yeah that'd my, be my dad and i would it my dad yep one thousand percent and my dad and and me and I, I don't know. Yeah, no, whatever. Um, so my dad and I had, it's not like this anymore, but when I first wanted to uh, go to school for, you know, media arts uh, and do something with it, it wasn't, it wasn't as strong as Katie's dad, but there was a little bit of that uh, and a lot more so with, the gap year that I took before going to college. Mm. I, I was a uh, counselor basically at uh, a nature school for a year mm. as a, as a volunteer. Uh, but I, my dad and I had kind of this misunderstanding of each other for a bit, but it's at a point now where he fully trusts me and my ability mm. to do the exact thing Katie wants to do. And I know that, I always knew, but I, I know now as well that his his goal in in that wasn't to like discourage me. It was just to make sure that mm. I was I was being looked out for, mm. you know. Uh, and uh, we, I mean, I, we just didn't reach that level uh, by fighting in a robot uprising. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it just happened with time. You haven't. What's that? You haven't. No, we never oh, fought okay. in a robot uprising. I've done it twice. Really? Really exciting wow, stuff. I'll tell you about that on yeah, another podcast. Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, th- I think that's another reason why I have such a soft spot for this movie uh, and why I find it, like, so easy to look past a lot of the faults because I relate to Katie as a character and I relate to that struggle with her parents and ju- just to kind of be understood and have those talents like fully appreciated Mm. i guess and and again it wasn't to that extent i love my parents and they've Mm. always been very supportive um but you know i i don't know i just yeah no totally there is specifically for people like us because you know historian for me Mm -hmm. didn't want to go into teaching Mm -hmm. like no this is what i do like I, I work my normal job, but this is, like, clearly my passion. Like, mm-hmm. film is my passion. Mm-hmm. Graphic like, design is my passion. Yeah. <laughs> like, with that, like, so obviously I have this, like, empathetic feeling towards Katie's story. Mm-hmm. Just because of, like, what's going on. You know, you can relate to that. Just, like, wanting to do something. Like, there's that montage at the very beginning where she's, like, 
I had trouble connecting with people and what I connected with and understood the world was through movies and mm-hmm. like flash of all these movies. That's yeah. very much us. That's, like, yeah, that's, that's very much me. Like yeah. I had trouble making friends. Movies were always kind of that one thing that I understood mm-hmm. and could like watch and like appreciate. And like, it was, it was an emotional release for me, but it was also my way of kind of figuring out stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I, figure out my life kind of through watching a movie which is bad in some ways but it also like it is kind of that therapeutic (laughs) depends on the movie depends yeah but you know you you don't want to figure out your life by watching like goodfellas no but it's like that feeling (laughs) of just like you watch a movie and you're like okay that inspires me to do this or be a good person or like understand people's feelings better yeah whatever it resonates with me whatever it is Mm -hmm. so obviously like with that like katie's story you know, it's a very touching story. And there's anybody who has gone to college knows <laughs> that feeling oh, of absolutely. like that those two days before you actually move out. Mm-hmm. Like when you're packed up, when you're ready to go, and then that day where it hits, it's the weirdest feeling mm-hmm. in the world is that day when you leave. Like it's just straight up. I, I've never had a feeling like that. It's so mixed emotions that day. Yeah. And you look back and you're just like, kind of like, how did I even survive through that? Like, <laughs> yeah, it is that, like a really period, weird, that like, transitional time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's this movie. That is this movie in a nutshell. It's for that transition period. So for people like us, it's going to relate to us not only because of that, but it's also because we've just gone through that. Yeah. And it's really reflective because, you know, we're, we were younger. Mm-hmm. So there was an immaturity that came with us where mm-hmm. we kind of thought we had it all together. Well, maybe we didn't. Mm-hmm. But there's also this like under it's a really good message for both kids and parents of like understanding one another. Like, yeah. The motivations behind the parents actions, mm-hmm. but also being able to empathize with the child and why this child feels like this and why what you're saying while you're doing it in their best interest mm-hmm. can feel really disheartening. In yeah. Those moments. Yeah. And and both sides of that both sides of that relationship that parent and parent and child that's you know starting to transition into fully adult like autonomous adult mm-hmm. uh, I think it's pretty evenly keeled mm-hmm. in this film we see a lot of Katie's side of things at the beginning and then the farther we get into the road trip we see a lot more of Rick and like what he, what he did in order to you he, know, support Katie. We did an episode a while ago on B-roll, uh, Best mm-hmm. Movie Dads, and you had him on the list, and I didn't because I hadn't seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Seeing the movie now, it's very easy to say I would probably have him on my yeah, list as well. I, where did I rank him? I'm you ranked him, you... I think you said seven or eight. He was in the kind of lower echelon mm-hmm. of it because you said it had just come out, so you didn't want to put it like crazy high. Yeah. But like, the, I, he remembering yeah. that. He is my favorite character in the movie, and there's a lot to this character and to this performance, and one that Danny McBride really delivers on. I also said on this podcast, and I can't believe I said it, I said I didn't like, I wasn't always the biggest fan of Danny McBride. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I said that. Like, I must have <laughs> just watched the movie I hadn't liked McBride in, because mm-hmm. this weekend... I watched This Is The End Again, mm-hmm. where he's like Danny McBride in the movie. Like, he's literally actually the actor Danny McBride in the movie. <laughs> he plays himself. Yeah. And I watched this movie, 
And he's hysterical. Like, he's legitimately really funny. We mm-hmm. were just talking about Hot Rod before on air, Pineapple Express. Like, I realized, like, okay, actually, I'm a much bigger Danny McBride fan than mm-hmm. I thought I was. It's all tangent, but essentially what I'm trying to get at is Danny McBride's really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, he delivers the gruff dad mm-hmm. so well, but that has a heart. Yeah. Like, he has such a big heart, and... He's just kind of out of touch and he doesn't understand it. Right, exactly. He, he's he got the, it's that heart of gold that we talk about where uh, they just, he doesn't understand the best way to to do this thing. Yeah. And I, I mean, this... his solution to, you know, making things right with Katie before she's going to go to college is canceling her plane ticket, keeping her from orientation and basically trapping her in a car. Yeah. And it's like. Obviously, his heart's in the right place. He's so excited to spend time with his daughter, but it's like that's not at the beginning. We've come to find out later that it is kind of exactly what Katie needed, but in the moment, it's like absolutely not what Katie needed. He has this like tenderness to him Mm -hmm. behind this gruffness of the character. Yeah. Where he's a really interesting, dynamic character in the sense that we don't really know anything of his past. Like, but you can tell, like, he grew up a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Like, he just has this, like, not grizzledness to him, but he just mm-hmm. has this, like... Drive to to make and, like, be suffi- self-sufficient. Yeah, um, he has, like, the very much typical, I'd say, our parents' generation mm-hmm. feeling. We're, you know, we're 23, so the generation before us where it's very, like, self-driven, where it's just, like, make a name for yourself. Mm-hmm. This is what you do. He has that really masculine... Mm-hmm. thing and it's not quite the toxic masculinity that we've talked about before mm-hmm. but it is definitely like that masculinity where it's sometimes you hide your emotions too much and you have trouble mm-hmm. expressing yourself that's very much mcbride's character yeah. in this movie yeah he has a lot a of bit. trouble healthily health yeah healthily explaining himself right and like having especially conversation to, especially to katie to katie especially like he just has trouble not just relating with her, but just like being he there's a lot of the issues that come from this movie that could be resolved through communication. Yeah. And it's just something he doesn't engage in. Yeah, Neither they does just she, don't, but it's just like they don't know how to communicate yeah, with he, each other yet. Where the mom is really the kind of glue that's feels like she's holding the family together. Yeah. I since we've started I I talked about Katie a little bit. We talked about Rick as a character. Let's let's just cover the rest of the Mitchells too. Yeah. Because I you mentioned you mentioned Maya Rudolph's character. She is I don't know how you could ever watch Maya Rudolph in anything and not think she's one of the funniest people in the world. She's she's great. I've never seen her in anything I haven't loved her in. Like just mm-hmm. Point blank, from her time on SNL to her time in TV, she's, movies, she's and wonderful. like Bridesmaids. Excellent, always charming, always delightful, and a really great voice actress who brings that, again, heart and softness, but also just captures the craziness of just like an yeah. eccentricity of this character. I love her. Yeah, she, she totally is going into that SNL mode, I think, in this, in this film. She, she gets to play that comedic. Right. That over-the-top comedic character, but yeah. also with a heart of gold that we've talked about. Yeah. All these characters are really lovable. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that her occupation in the movie is a grade school teacher. She's a first grade teacher. First grade teacher. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was... I didn't want to say it wrong. I was not sure if it was kindergarten or first or yeah, second. Yeah, it's first grade because she makes a joke about it while she's fighting in the apocalypse. She's like, honey, I fought... 
or I mean, uh, first grade yeah, teacher. Yeah, I'm a first like, grade teacher. This is just a normal day for me. Yeah, it re- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. just like that, that angle of her character really adds to the comedy of like when she's this kind of calming presence. She's she's got a little bit of like mom kookiness to her. Yeah, and I'm listeners. I'm sure you know the mom kookiness that I'm talking to or talking the, about. It's the mother bear. Yeah. Like feeling. Yeah. And then uh and then later on when she's like completely going off the rails, spoilers a little bit. Yeah. But I it's just her character like, at the end is so funny where she's just, just like incredibly. become like the terminator of these robots where like <laughs> yeah, they ha- she has this whole <laughs> yeah. like legend behind her where she's like they all like fear and know her. Yeah. Like she's basically won the war. She's very much John Connor. Right. Yeah. The resistance. They, they call, they call like, her like the resistance. Yeah. They call her like the lavender one. Mm-hmm. The lavender one approaches our time of reckoning. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, and so, then you have the little boy. Yeah. Aaron. Uh, Aaron, who's voiced by. I. It said that it was he was voiced by Michael Rianda, who's the director. I don't know if that's correct. I'm going to double check that. That wouldn't shock me, actually. Yeah, it wouldn't. It doesn't. It wouldn't shock me either. But um, and yeah, you, I, yeah, start on. Uh, so he's all him. about dinosaurs. He's a ten-year-old boy who's based his personality on dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> he is very. He has this very sweet relationship with his sister, but he's okay, it is very like very into his things and very into his world. So he has trouble relating to other people, like having friends that aren't into like everything he's into like it's a and his character is really fun because one again very just charming performance but also one that is just i they get to do a little bit of the goofs where he's now starting to hit the puberty age so he's like Mm -hmm. starting to talk to a girl and he's just like kind of off the rails and has no clue what to do like leading to the scene at the very end where when he finally does get to talk to the girl and like they're in his bedroom and they're just like playing with dinosaurs and they like <laughs> dives walk out in. the window. He just jumps out the window. Very, that was a that that's was one of the very, funniest jokes. That was very Scott Pilgrim yeah. with him. It was he's a really just like I said likable character, but he's mm-hmm. also one that just the where the heart in that character comes from is his relationship with Katie. With Katie because it he's. She is his best friend. Yeah, I the dynamic between Katie and Aaron is is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. They they are never so often in movies that deal with the same sort of I guess demographic and style and story. The brother and sister or like the siblings are at each other's necks all the time. But in this one it's not like that at all and it's really refreshing and adds like these moments that's where like the the true heart of this movie comes through for me most Mm -hmm. in the relationship between Aaron and and Katie Mm -hmm. it's just it's just sweet yeah so this this Mitchell family is like I said a very likable normal family if again dysfunctional dysfunctional but if you've had grown up in a fairly normal family You'll see shades of all of these in your family. Like, yeah. it is just, like, that type of dysfunctional normal. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it feels like. It's and dysfunctional normal. Yeah, and it's, of course, it's the, those aspects are, are played up for comedy's sake. Yeah. But I, it's, it, the movie doesn't take itself so seriously that that's jarring. 
What I like about a lot about this movie is family is the story of this movie. Like that is what mm-hmm. this film is focused on. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens to be that there's this robot apocalypse going on in the background. Yes. But at its core, this is a story about relationships mm-hmm. and mending bridges and learning to love one another. Yeah. Uh, you, so with the robot apocalypse, really quickly, do you want to just do a rapid fire on some of the secondary characters, namely Pal, uh, Mark Bowen, and Eric and Deborah Bot? Yeah. The let's just kind of because we could go into great detail. Yeah, let's we'll just go rapid hit, fire. The two big ones are Beck Bennett from SNL. Yes, and, and Fred Armisen. Fred Armisen, who end up. Uh, Beck Bennett plays all the robots, mm-hmm. but there's two specifically, Beck Bennett and Fred Armisen. Armisen's, that end up basically having their software changed, and they end up being a part of the Mitchells, essentially. Like, they're their helpers on this thing. Beck Bennett they're, is hysterical. They're so funny. They're hysterical, and Beck Bennett in particular just kills this role. He's so funny. He's very funny. I Can you... Yeah. Everyone, can you hear the guinea pigs chittering in the background? Sorry if it happened. They have their blanket over them. They're sleeping. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're they're so funny. One of one of my favorite jokes, and the delivery cracks me up. It never is not funny to me because it's just so stupid. Uh-huh. It's the fact that they can't identify Monch. Oh, oh yeah, the dog that's, Monch yeah. played by uh, the, Doug the pug. Doug the pug. Yes, uh, they have a they have a pug that has chameleon eyes and can't focus and he's kind of a derpy dog mm. but the there's this running gag where the robots can't identify what what Monch is yeah. so they j- it goes they're like scanning him and it's like pig dog pig dog loaf of bread yeah. system error yeah <laughs> like it cracks me up every time because it, it's just so dumb I love I love how this this goofy-looking dog is just enough to totally break these these yeah. image and recognition. The, the robot apocalypse is handled well in the sense that, like, it really is the not the focal point of this movie. It's just happening, and that's kind of the adventure going through. Mm-hmm. But it's not what the movie is about, ultimately. Right. It's really well done. Olivia Coleman, who voices the main AI who basically takes over, mm-hmm. very good voice actress coleman's a very talented actress. Uh, yeah i love olivia coleman she's really good in this as well mm-hmm. uh you know blake griffin conan o'brien have small but memorable camera cameos as mm-hmm. their characters always fun to get conan o'brien in voice acting yeah and, I, he's the he's the like advanced version right mm-hmm. i think he's the advanced version of the pal bots yeah same with blake griffin like they're very funny in their small roles there's a lot of just small funny roles Mm -hmm. that we don't really have to go into detail but we can like john legend and chrissy Teigen as the like perfect (laughs) couple that look exactly like john legend and chrissy Teigen. yeah like i like that john legend and chrissy Teigen are willing to make fun of themselves in that kind of way oh yeah like it it, it made me like them a lot like more they're very much those two characters and like the end joke where chrissy Teigen's like oh i'll follow you back on instagram like (laughs) this whole thing that like they're already this perfect family and they're all into the yoga Mm -hmm. and just like family togetherness they have like battle plans that they've rehearsed this whole thing with it it's really funny Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of small characters like that throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Mark but Bowen, played by Eric Andre. I love Eric Andre. 
yeah. is hilarious. He's got some really funny Yeah, lines. everyone is cast well mm-hmm. in this movie. I really want to start getting into the two big things I want to talk about mm-hmm. is the animation yeah. and the, uh, I guess, the relationship between these characters a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Specifically because the story is, it's not cliched in any ways, but it is a fairly typical, like, you yeah. kind of can know what this is going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. they're in this. It's going to be some wacky adventures. Daughter's going to go off to college and they're going to make up. That's the point of the story. Like, right. it's a pretty basic story that's easy for kids to follow. But it's not, in the sense, cliched in that, like, you've seen this a thousand times. Right. It's more of the fact, like, you know where these story beats have to hit. Yeah. I mean... It's her- formulaic. Yeah. The hero's journey it is is called the hero's journey and is used so often because it's a story structure that works and that's that's exactly what this is it's the hero's journey except the hero is all the mitchells and they're kind of they kind of each have their own little mini journeys mm-hmm. throughout so let's hit a little bit on the story real quick because yep. this is what this is what elevates the movie to me the most this is a story mm-hmm. what i really like about the story is that they don't give you everything you need to know about each character at the beginning it mm-hmm. is a continual, like, reveal of each thing. Like, there's this thing, there's this item that Katie gets really early on as the moose in this flashback where so she's going to camp. It's a little wooden carved moose. Yeah. And you don't get the importance of that till closer to the end of the runtime. Mm-hmm. It's scenes like that that make this movie really special. Mm-hmm. This relationship between Katie and her dad. Yeah. When you go back in his past... And you find out, like, he had this dream of, like, building this house in the woods. He always wanted to be, like, live in the ca- yeah. Yeah, cabin, like, with his family and all this. And he has to give it up for his daughter. Mm-hmm. But and, and, and he has no issue giving up. In, yeah. In fact, the, the moose that it's he takes. the he, sweetest scene in the movie. Yeah. He, he breaks it off, like, the, the null post outside. Mm-hmm. And he gives it to Katie and we hear uh, his wife. Oh, I can't remember. I think her name's Linda. I think it's Linda. That's Is that correct? Um, Linda, let me double check because I've got it open. Yeah, well, yeah Linda Mitchell. Hey, yeah. look at me go. Uh, you, we hear Linda behind the video camera say, like... I know that this is hard for you, Rick. Mm. And then he hands the little wooden moose to a baby Katie and goes, no, it's not hard at all. Yeah, it's the sweetest moment in the movie. And then when mm-hmm. she sees that She's on the video instantly camera, crushed like, because of... What she says with the dad where, like, there's the scene where earlier where they're in this uh, uh, convenience... The dinosaur, it's the dinosaur museum yeah. stop thing. <laughs> and they have this moment where it's just like, Oh, like, I totally trust in you, Dad. And then when she's talking with the brother, she's like, no, I know. Like, I'm just saying this to basically get him off our back. Like, I can't wait to be out of here. Mm -hmm. And then the AI pulls up that recording and crushes the dad. Yeah. I I actually, I like how the liar revealed trope is done in this movie. Uh, There's no apologies needed. I love that. I love the fact that there's not an apology. There's not mm-hmm. a justification needed from the daughter. Mm-hmm. And there's no nothing that the dad needs to feel. Yeah, because they they know that they both screwed up. They both mm-hmm. weren't meeting each other where they needed to be yeah. met. And then that, that whole clip, you know, is them understanding. Mm-hmm. And also, like, 
Of course, an evil AI with crazy tech access reveals everything about the Mitchells. Mm. It's it's a lot better than, you know, Katie kind of getting caught in her own snowballing lie, mm-hmm. you know, or some, you know, high school jerk revealing it at a party, mm. you know, or something like that, mm. which which happens way too much. I'm thinking like Disney movies, like yeah. uh, Disney Channel movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I... I the fact that it's an AI that's recording everything is great. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, the story. And mm. like I said, it's a really special moment when it happens. And it's mm. that moment where that relationship feels the most real. And it's the most heartfelt part in their forgiveness of one another. It's very natural, but without being over the top, like hit it on the head. Mm-hmm. It's just a natural progression of these two characters. Danny McBride in this movie is really special because he not only likes that balances the comedy which he nails in this movie just so funny in this movie mm. and we'll get into some of those scenes in a second but just with that heartfelt is like a really impressive balance to hit with him because this is definitely i think you would say his sweetest role that he's ever played yeah like usually he's kind of the loud obnoxious friend yeah the, the, movie. the seth rogan type yeah he's always in the seth rogan movies as like the crazy guy <laughs> this movie he's like the crazy guy but he's a good person Mm-hmm. Which that's kind of been the difference with McBride's characters. There's so many good jokes with this character. The mm-hmm. fact that he's like this woodsman who doesn't understand technology. The whole scene at the end <laughs> where he's trying to type in I YouTube. accidentally ordered 12 Swiffers on Amazon. Yeah, his, his freakouts are hysterical in the movie when he's trying to use the internet and he's just like sitting there screaming, crying. Like he's typing in YouTube <laughs> and then he spells out dot. <laughs> and he's like doing everything he, he the can. the language to Spanish. Yeah, and he's like... Ah, uh, like <laughs> perfect, perfect, pitch perfect comedy. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to do a rapid fire of some of our favorite jokes at near the oh, end of yeah. this. And then, so that's kind of like the story beats for me. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you wanted to hit on there? Um, one of one of the great uh, visual parallels, I guess, of this journey that Katie and Rick take to understand each other. It's this parallel where they're flying around on robots. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the robot invasion, they're both grabbed by these robots and are flying around without any control, Mm -hmm. smacking into things. It's complete chaos. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then at the end, where they finally understand each other, uh, they have this moment where they're again flying around on robots, but yeah. they're totally in control. They're totally in sync. They're reined in. Yeah, they're reined in, and they're having this moment where you know they're playing their song, which mm. is uh, "Live, Live Your, Your Life", Life by Ti and Rihanna. Yes, uh, great piece of a song. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, ca- it's, it's really, a really catchy song. Now that you mention it, I'm glad mm-hmm. that you did because I told you I had criticisms of this movie, mm-hmm. and my criticism. And it's a lot with Sony films, is there tends to be an over reliance Sony animated films, I should mm-hmm. say. Sometimes Sony animated or Sony in general, now mm-hmm. I think about it. But in Sony animation, there's sometimes this weird reliance on way too just much pop culture thrown in your face. Yeah. I get why it's in this movie because of the generation that she grows up and the story that she's going along and the fact that she is this person who grew up with YouTube. Yeah, and who's like very reading. plugged into... Like, I get it. There's just a little bit too much of it for my taste. Like, yeah. there's just too much of it often in your face where it's like, hey, remember this from, like, 2009? It's, like, <laughs> really popular YouTube video. Or, like, 
hey, remember like this meme? Or like, oh, isn't this a really funny? Or, oh, this song is used here. Now, the exception I have is I, I think the Live Your Life is a sweet one. Yeah. And it makes sense because of her age. Yeah. And like, you know, all every parents and children that have a fairly normal relationship have those songs. Mm-hmm. I, there, like that, that is, I didn't mind. There were other uses of it, like, where I'm just like, all right, like, you're just throwing it in my face just straight <laughs> up, like, right now. Like, there's a few scenes where it's just like, okay, that is just like, that's a YouTube clip you're, like, showing me, like, basically for a part of the movie. Yeah, that's a, that's a totally fair... And, like, critique. I understand why people didn't get bothered by it or think it's funny. Mm-hmm. Just for me, it, it didn't feel lazy, because lazy's not the right word. Yeah. It just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah, that's fair. I, it wasn't used poorly, it was just overly used, is what I'll say. Yeah, okay, that's, that's totally fair. That's my main criticism of the movie. That's There's totally fair. There's a few fair. scenes where I'm just like... Oh my god, they're just like doing this again. Yeah, one a, jo- a few little things with like Sony products. There which, are. I mean, you're it's gonna a throw Sony in, movie. That's what the other thing where they I'm did like, it, Sony they does did that it very. In, they did often. it in Spider Man. Yeah, the Spider Verse. So, I, whatever. I, I will say there is one thing that's like in a bunch of movies that like is like it feels should feel cliche and it's a joke that you've heard mm-hmm. every time it hits in the movie. I freaking love it and it's one of my favorite setups to any joke ever in any movies it's where they're like well it's good that this uh isn't the case and then right in the next scene that's the case yeah like it's like oh at least we're not in a robot apocalypse and then the robot apocalypse <laughs> yeah Those it's not the, the end of the world yeah, like right not before the end of the world gets and then destroyed right as the end of the world happened those types of jokes and they use them pretty heavily in this mm-hmm. movie it that, should become that joke, repetitive yeah Never does to me. It's like the perfect setup every time for me. Where it's just beep, 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 yeah. and it hits it out of the park yeah. every time. For the, me. Deli- the delivery is so perfect. And that comes I, the from great the thing, actors. The great thing, yeah. The great thing about that joke in particular is that you see the end of the world happening in the background, yeah. and you're just waiting, like, when's the other shoe going to drop? Yeah. Um, There's I, a few times where they just use that joke, and every time you're like, you know exactly what the joke is, mm-hmm. and every time I laugh. That's a skill to... The writers and actors. Yeah. Uh, the, one of my complaints, there's a lot of like cell phone bad, uh, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea that we give an AI all of our information. Like that sort of message, anti-message is a little bit ham-handed. It is. In this I film. didn't have as much of an issue with it because I thought they did show some of the positives yeah that it happens yeah that's why it's message anti-message it's sort of like there are a few moments of it where i'm just like this does very it feels very here's how do i say this it almost doesn't feel real like you always hear (laughs) these conflicts where it's like parents like oh these dang phones are ruining our kids but i've never actually met a parent who says that yeah phone bad book good yeah like i've never actually seen that in real life i just (laughs) only see that in like media like it's always portrayed Mm -hmm. as like oh the parents are like throwing their kids iphones away and i'm like i don't know anybody whose parents i've ever heard of that being the case for them right uh it's also pretty rich coming from sony who has their name all over the place within the movie doesn't it doesn't that's like that's another of those things where i thought about too where it's just like do you understand like the conglomerate that you're like you're sony yeah like the one that you're kind of saying like oh this guy's bad like this is the soapbox you're getting yeah it's like ooh, like it was like okay it's like there's 
such a random tangent. I apologize. I saw that recent live action Dumbo uh-huh. with Tim Burton. Did you see it? No. Okay, so there's this scene where Michael Keaton basically plays the carnival guy who's making like this adventure type land, but he's like, so he has like all these animals, he has all these amusement parks, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. It he's very much Walt Disney in the movie, <laughs> and the point of him is he's the bad guy in the movie, and it's just like abusing the animals and employees and all these things and you're just like watching you're like what is there like how did tim burton get away with this yeah like how is this the message in the film of like disneyland (laughs) and this type of like product media and like just like this type of like i don't know how to describe it but just like this glomerate of just like yeah wealth and like i think i think going into you're just like how is this like how who how did Disney allow this to be said about their company? I think the difference between that aspect and how it's done in this movie is that this movie has the benefit of sort of its cartoonish exaggeration of things and it fits with the reality that this movie takes place in. It does. With live action, it's really hard to do that. You you got to really like walk Yeah, a fine but it line. is something that you do notice or you're just like Yeah. It's always that thing with like when like, whenever a movie has an anti-capitalist message, which, again, anyone who knows me knows I'm fairly left-leaning, mm. which means, you know, I have some very strong anti-opinions about capitalism. And so the, while I have never necessarily disagree with those films, it is always really interesting to see, like, a Paramount film, like, talk about capitalism in an anti-way, and you're just like, okay. You're but like, Paramount. <laughs> like, same as, like, Oh, it's like when Jeff Bezos makes like we talked about it with Nomadland, which I think was actually who I don't remember who that suit may have been Amazon. Was it Amazon? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Amazon. I don't mm-hmm. remember, but yeah, but like with that, where you're just like, huh? Like you're really painting the nomadic lifestyle in Amazon in a very interesting way. But it's like, isn't that a little interesting coming from Bezos? Like, yeah, it it feels disingenuous. At times. Yeah, I think that's this movie I think that's doesn't the, hit that quite, but there no, are not moments where much, you are yeah. just like, huh. Okay, yeah. Like, it's self righteous to have a good message, and then the more you think about it, you're just like, yeah, hey. is that really the message? Like, yeah, I, you it, really should be saying, yeah. And the, I, I get before we like talk too much about this, but I maybe we already have, I don't know. Um, it's it's such a minor thing mm-hmm. in this movie that it's it's such a minor complaint for me. It is such a minor complaint for me either. It's just one of those things that you do notice. Yeah. Uh, my my last complaint, I think, for this movie, my last large-ish, uh, like, slight ding on this movie is Pal as a villain. Um, Doesn't really work for me either. Yeah, Pal, it, she's funny, but she doesn't have the menace. And... I don't know what would have made this work. Maybe, maybe more menace rather than goofiness. I'm. I was thinking kind of like a Glados presence from Portal, the Portal games. Okay. Where it's this big, imposing, mechanical mass, rather than just a phone. You know. I didn't know how you did it either. She ultimately isn't my issue. I just like don't have an issue with her because I get like it's supposed to be a little bit more lighthearted for families. Yeah, and I she, just, so I didn't have she's an issue not, with it. She's not the but main. But I get it. She's not the main conflict. The main conflict is those interpersonal relationships with the yeah, Mitchell family. Like I totally get what you're saying because I do agree. Yeah. She's not like this particularly memorable villain. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's also because Beck Bennett, 
specifically as all the robots kind of outshines everything kind of going around her. Yeah. But it, I do agree. Like, Olivia Coleman's really good in the movie. It's just, mm-hmm. like, she doesn't get much to do in the movie. Right. It's kind of a minor presence, which maybe is the whole point. Yeah. I mean, and ultimately, which, which it, is it's totally... It's, for me, totally it's not fair. a complaint. Yeah. But it is one of those things where it's, like... It would have been cool to see some menace. There would have been something added to this movie had they portrayed her just a little bit more seriously. Yeah. And... That's really my big complaints about it. So I guess, like, let's just to end this. We haven't touched on the animation yet. Oh yeah, like that's we what gotta really talk have... animation. We have to talk some of the comedy. We yeah, can yeah. just share some of our our yeah, favorites. Yeah, yeah. I love the animation. It's so full of life. There's so much going on. I like the animation. Mm-hmm. I don't like the style of the animation. Like I like the creativity and colors and way they yeah. use the animation. It's the actual look of the style that it just it doesn't particularly resonate with me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just like maybe it's a little too cartoony and kiddish feeling for me. Mm-hmm. It just didn't. I don't know. It's I I don't like when characters kind of look like that, like a little bit exaggerated, mm-hmm. like in that like sometimes with the I don't like it when a character looks so cartoonish. With here's what I figured out. I don't like when a character looks so cartoonish. But they also then try to go to a realism look at it. Mm-hmm. Like either it's like you make an anime character that looks human or you make one who's just like completely kind of exaggerated or something. Mm-hmm. This one kind of hits this weird middle where it's like they look very cartoonish, but then they have really detailed like eyes or like bags in their mm-hmm. their eyes or like you see the red strains in their eyes, mm-hmm. in their pupils and stuff like that where it's like. Photorealistic cartoonish. Yeah. I I just don't like that look. I I found it I found it at a fairly good balance of like it's stylized enough that it's not in that uncanny valley for me, but I mean It's not in the uncanny. It's I, not in the un Uncanny Valley. Uncanny Valley. It mm-hmm. doesn't hit that. Like I said, I like it enough. It's right. just like mm-hmm. that's the reason I was so not like rushing to see this movie by any point was yeah. just like so that makes me wonder if you would upon re-watching cloudy with a chance of meatballs if you would like see cloudy's it has that same thing where that animation style just isn't my uh-huh. vibe mm-hmm. i anyone who knows me like i said if you know spider-verse but if you also look like at the other animations i'm really fond of nightmare before christmas the disney classics pixar those are very normal looking like that or they're so out there yeah everything's proportional yeah this movie that that's what it is the proportions feel a little like just weird to me and some Mm -hmm. of the like i said for me it's the eyes the eyes like that like yeah the big dinner plate eyes yeah it's just like okay i can understand i don't know why that bothers me so much but it just it's hard for me to just like watch it like not again not in a bad way it's just I watch it and it just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Which uh, is a hard thing for an animation when you don't connect with the animation itself. Yeah. It kind of has – Yeah. just it, like you're not fully invested in it. When right. you're invested in an animation, mm-hmm. you can kind of just get swept away in everything. But when you have this thing with the animation where you're like the whole time like I just don't kind of like how this looks, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to get invested with everything else going on around that animation. Right. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I think that's, this is one of those styles where it's like, where I, I can totally see that it, it hits. I, I personally love it, but I, and let I me totally state understand this. Let you. me state this. 
it's not poorly animated. Oh, it's just yeah. not yeah, my yeah, style. Yeah. Like I can totally admit this it, animation looks amazing. It's just not my style. Similarly, similarly to Miyazaki's Spirited Away, in a in a sense. Yeah, I guess. Okay, that's that's totally fair. Um, I the I really love how Sony has kind of found this this cartoon this cartoon style in in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs you get the the kind of goofy sort of rubber hose animation mm-hmm. of the 20s where everything's kind of wacky yeah. everyone's a arm flailing inflatable tube man but it's not so soulless like it it's it's still got heart in it it's not as soulless as something like uh, Norm of the North, which we've got to talk about at some or point. Or Emoji Movie, even, from Sony. Yeah, or, yeah, or Emoji Movie. Oh, that's right, that's a Sony Pictures I thing. I know, it's really interesting. They went from Emoji to Spider-Verse as their next animated. Oh, oh my gosh, know, what a that drastic crazy? change. Uh, and then Spider-Verse nailed this beautiful comic book aesthetic. God, I can't wait to talk about Spider-Verse in January, for around my birthday. I can't wait. Like... Oh, it's so good. That animation is so like it's it's absolutely. Let's yeah. not even touch on it, but it's so it's so amazing. Yeah, and then I this I found it as like a great merging of those two movies that I really love the artistry mm-hmm. in them. So um, that that's kind of my logic for it. And then also, no, I totally agree with you. I totally agree. Like it is this oh, kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah. mixture of it. Yeah. Like it, it is really well animated. If and what leans, I love, if it leans one way too much for you, yeah, then yeah. What I, I totally love specifically totally about the animation is the colors. Oh, it's a the very colors. vibrant looking movie. Like it's a really fun movie to look at, even it's if so it's not lively. my style of animation. It has a beat and kind of temple to the look of it. Yeah. Like it has this like, you said liveliness. I would almost like say like it has this kind of just energy to the animation that's something sony's been really knocking it out with Mm spider-verse cloudy with some of their other films is they have this unique energy to them that comes to life with the way they animate yeah you said mentioned spider-verse being very comic book this feels very cartoonish kid growing up making like yeah, it's like, what you envision when you doodle in your notebook. It feels imagination. Like, that's what it is. It feels like doodling in your notebook is what this animation Which feels is like. where a lot of the Scott Pilgrim sort of angles come out. I love the little sketches that show up yeah. here and there. Like, as Katie's visualizing a scene where, all the, where they're all walking out of the mall as an explosion happens behind them. And as she holds up her fingers to kind of, like, frame the scene, a little camera recording HUD sketch like pops up in between your fingers like that sort of thing i love that i love that i love that stuff too like the and getting into the gags now that's one of my favorite gags in the movie is the explosion yes Um, explosion where they're like oh what if we just did this and danny mcbride's like that is such a a waste of time time." uh the animation style lends itself so well to really great visual gags it is that's the key of this animation where it does really work is the visual gags are often enhanced due to the animation style every cartoonish nature of it. every aspect elevates every other aspect in that i will totally give the animation that one of my favorite visual gags happens very close to the beginning where they're talking about how linda's like 
We've never had a good family photo because you and Katie are always arguing. To, to Rick, she says this. And he goes, well, that one's really good. And she said, that's the photo that, that came with the frame. And it's like it's an actual like, stock photo like, of like, like you would real. Find it like, uh, like a Marshall's yeah. craft store. So like re, it's real people. Yeah, it's legit. That is one of the funniest <laughs> jokes in the movie, too. I totally agree. Uh, what are some of my other favorite jokes? I mentioned the explosion. I mentioned when they just like, oh, at least this didn't happen. Oh, this happens. Everything with Beck Bennett's really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the gags with the dog okay. is really good. The whole scene at the end where Linda just becomes—we already talked about this—but just like this, <laughs> she like, becomes like the reckoning. She becomes Sarah Connor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so that is when I say she like rips the heart, like the the yeah. the core of the, the machine, the out. like oil going everywhere, like, <laughs> like blood, splatters like really on her good, glasses. Like, visual gag i think when i talked about pop culture being used too much there are some times where it lends itself so naturally and that's Mm -hmm. when they're parodying other sci-fi apocalyptic movies like terminator Mm -hmm. like that's where it lends itself really naturally Mm -hmm. that's where i really like it the whole scene with the neighbors when they're like jumping out through the car and all this and they're just like they do this backflip and then they try it and he like the dad can't even get over like he like the, rolls across Linda's back and yeah. she's like ah and they both fall. Yeah. A yeah. lot of those gags just lurk really well. Really a lot of the gags with Danny McBride. One of my favorites is where they do this 8-hour like rafting trip or whatever. And then you see like the helicopter coming they're like getting the animal or whatever. <laughs> Prancer belongs to the canyon now. Yeah. <laughs> He's like <laughs> floating down the stream. Danny McBride is so funny with the over exaggeration. The scene where he's breaking his uh, computer trying to uh, follow her on YouTube, where he sends her the note on YouTube, and he <laughs> yeah. like literally sends her a follow request in the mail, like I want to. I thought this was a serial killer. Yeah, <laughs> all that stuff. Please is be really my friend funny. on the internet. And we actually haven't talked about it because it's something that I also really like about this movie is the representation of this movie, the fact that like you know. Uh, uh, Katie is just a uh, either bisexual or lesbian. And yeah, it's just like it. I, I like when I they just sure like if we wanted to bring that up. But I, I, I just like that it's, it's just in there, and it's nothing more than just like this is a part of life and normal. Right. It's like it, her character is not that she is that she is bisexual or lesbian. Her character is that she is. A growing person. She's an editor. She is a good sister. She is a good daughter. She's struggling to find her place in her family. She's struggling to find her. Yeah, people. and like, she's gay. Like that's yeah, just and like she just happens to be. Yeah, like and that's not again a criticism on movies where the character is outwardly gay. Like that's a part of their film. No, like that's yeah. not by any means. I just like it when representation is just there because it's like just a part of a character's life. Like, right. It's, it, her, it it's captures, because, it makes it feel more realistic. Yeah. Almost. She, like, fe- she feels like a real person and not just an attempt to garner brownie points. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's she, it's, it's a, natural. Yeah. It's totally natural to the character and it doesn't feel like Sony being like, Oh, we have a quota to fill. How yeah. do we fix this? Like with, what Disney does with beauty and the beast where they're like, what if Josh Gad dances with a man, for like a second at the end of the movie where it's just so like it's so you, quick you add that because you're like oh but he's gay and we have gay characters in disney this is like no this is like legitimately good representation mm-hmm. in a film that is going to be seen by a lot of kids who need those messages where it's mm-hmm. just like it's like this this isn't the only thing that makes you. yeah exactly you, you are a, a, a mass are of a, a bunch of different things you are a person 
Katie's like, Katie's given this depth and growth that yeah yeah. I like I said I like that all how they handle yeah. it. It's just so subtle, but yet mm-hmm. I think very meaningful. Yeah, it's a it's a great great representation of that of that sort of thing of yeah. I think LGBTQ. a lot of filmmakers and specifically studios could look at that and be like, maybe that's what we're like sometimes missing. Like mm-hmm. when people are like, oh, we want representation in movies, like. They're not talking like, oh, we just want like this. Make random, them a, like make them a good character first. Exactly, like make them, like don't just put an Asian guy in it uh, as a superhero, uh, just to put it in. Make him Shang Chi and make it a really good movie. Yeah. Around that with and Shang Chi is a little bit different where it celebrates that culture more specifically. Mm-hmm. Black Panther as well. Mm-hmm. I just like I said, there's ways to do it and there's there's other ways to do it, and this one does it really well. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's do a couple more jokes and then we'll do our. Uh, yeah, you you round segment. off because I think those are the big jokes I remember. Okay, I just Eric and Deborah bought Fred Armisen and Beck Bennett. We already mentioned them. They're hilarious. Everything that they say is so funny. The smiley face. Oh the my god! The first faces. time when they meet and they're like trying to pretend to be we are humans. We are humans. That scene's hysterical. Yes, uh, one of the funniest scenes. Um, I, one of the best examples of how good the comedy writing is is the flight safety video where they're explaining that all the humans are being captured and then they're going to be launched into space. It's like, your flight duration will be forever. Oh, you know what? And your destination is the cold void of distant space. You know which one is really funny that I, that made me There think are of? no exits. It's when they're capturing all the humans and they're like that scene where they're talking with Eric Andre's character and they're like, oh, we're turning off the Wi-Fi and it's just mm-hmm. simply this whoop. <laughs> yeah, this little you switch. You just see like the switch like on the computer. And then they're like, oh, like, that's not going to bring the downgrade of society. It's, again, one of those other jokes where you know right exactly that next beat is going to be society going crazy without the Internet. And you just right. see, like, this literally, like, Mad Max style. They've all gone, like, rogue on each other. Yeah, and this whole, like, cartoon exaggeration of reality <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, hysterical. Um, the most comedically dense and every joke hits the mall. Mm. The mall scene, oh, the mall every really joke fun is amazing the as the uh as the toaster shows up and Mm. it's like okay who's the funny guy and it says your toast as Mm. the thing pops up and then the other piece of toast and it's the arrow the what's it called the little the vacuums no the furbies oh the The furbies Furbies are really funny the furbies are excellent i can't be mad at you (laughs) just like has a furby (laughs) yeah um, the giant Furby that comes out and is like, the dark harvest has begun, yeah. and then fires like, <laughs> like apocalypse the screw, beam. The screwdriver joke's really funny, the fact yeah, that like... Yeah, the number three Robertson <laughs> yeah. non-slip screwdriver or whatever. And just like, oh, it's our wedding gift. He's like, doesn't that make... Aren't you glad I got that as a wedding gift? Let's not revisit that one right yeah. now. <laughs> Let's not relitigate this. Yeah. Uh, another joke that I really love that, that cracks me up every time is in the mall where all the Roomba-style vacuums are coming towards the... Oh, escalator. and they just fall it's down like, the escalator yeah. and he's like, oh, we, that was easy. This, yeah, this will be... Or this will be the reckoning, and then they all reach the escalator. <laughs> they just go, like, "Ouch! Ow! Oh, yeah. the and they pain. all just like break. Ouch. <laughs> that's a really funny. That's a really funny visual like gag. That's a really good so moment of like taking like something like mundane mm-hmm. and making it really funny. Yeah, I, the action in that scene, also the the lasers. It's just like it's my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, 
so yeah, that's really our review of Mitchell of the Machines. Yeah. Oh, oh, last yeah. last line that I want to talk about mm-hmm. is Katie saying, "I've broken six phones accidentally, but I'm going to break you on purpose." Yeah. to pal. Surprisingly badass yeah. line. <laughs> I oh, yeah. love it. Uh, all right, I that pretty much covers that it. That covers the movie. This is a, this is a really very fun, movie. fun movie. Really fun. It's like if you were to put if I had to put one adjective to describe this movie, it's fun. Fun. Like you're not going to have a bad time watching this movie in the sense that like maybe you don't connect with it as much as other people do, but you're going to yeah. have you're going to laugh in this movie. Yeah. This this movie was built for me to enjoy it yeah. and to like find it relatable and just I this is everything. This is what I would want if I were to animate a movie, this is what I would want. Yeah. That that energy is what I would want to capture. Speaking of energy, is it time for something, Branson? I think it is time what for... What is it time for? The Great Debate! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Great Debate. I am Ben Friedman. With me, as always, is Branson. We are in the cage. We are in the ring. They are going square off five rounds. Not really, really just one round each punching back and forth to see who comes out victorious for the month of November. Let's get ready to movie rumble. Your Sunday, Sunday, Sunday things always crack me up because I'm like, man, how long is he going to do this? So, Branson, do you want to go first this week or should I go first Uh, this week? How about you go first, sir? Yes. Sir. Yes. If you had to cast one sitcom dad to take the role of this character like like basically not making them the Nick Offerman character but if you were to put a of of Rick specifically not of Rick just yeah. like if you were to just input any dad actually here here's how I'll frame the question okay any sitcom dad and the show just ends up becoming Mitchell and the versus the machines where they go on the exact same Situation with their family and their respective characters. Oh, okay. Who is that character lend itself to really naturally? Ooh. And I have my answer. Oh, that's that's quite good. So Sit- any sitcom dad. dad. Any sitcom dad. Any comedy dad. I don't know if it counts, but I have Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I'll count Uncle Phil. He's a dad yeah, too. Yeah, Uncle Phil. Uncle that's Phil. That's a really and funny Will. answer. I was just watching that show like, right before. Carlton's like the Aaron mm-hmm. character. The little brother, um, I. It's definitely a different dynamic, but I. There's a lot of. He's so talented in that show. Yeah, uh, James Avery. That's that's, that's Uncle the, Phil. That's yeah. Uncle Phil. He he passed away a few years ago. Yeah, a few years ago. He is like in that show, is like so capable of like what Nick Offerman's dad does, mm-hmm. or Nick Offerman's character in this movie. So it's actually really Nick good Offerman. Thing. Not a Nick Offerman, sorry. Danny uh, McBride. Danny McBride. Nick Offerman's a great Actually, that analog, been a, though. Yeah. But he's so reminiscent of what Danny McBride does in this movie in the yeah. sense that he can play that, like, big, rough guy with, like, the mm-hmm. heart of gold. Like, yeah. that's the key of Uncle Who Phil. Who just wants the best. He yeah. is, like, for, truly for the his, greatest, for like, kid. dad character in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, that's, okay. That's yeah. my answer. I'm sticking with Fresh Prince. Okay. I like your answer a lot, but it's not as good as mine. <laughs> so, okay. I had two. All right. The first was originally I was thinking three technically. I went Ray Romano, but I always say Ray Romano is the joke. And yeah. really, like, Ray, obviously anything Ray Romano, Ray Romano. Ray Romano and O.J. Simpson is to Ben as Danny DeVito is to me. Anything Ray Romano is just always going to be great to me because I love Ray Romano. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he wasn't really my answer. The second one that I was really thinking was, like, 
Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. Oh. Like, that's a really, like... Because you get the whole oh, family. Oh, that's so good. Like, the Dumphies. The Dumphies. Oh, like great. I guess if you're cheating that, you get, like, all the family. So you get Cam and Mitch, and then you get Jay. Jay's a very much the Data McBride character. He yeah. can suit that, because he's, again, one of those characters with a hard But then I realized, like, I said sitcom dads, which means I get anything. Live action and animated. Okay. Homer Simpson. Oh, that's good. Like, one... <laughs> already lends itself naturally to the animation. The fact that the Simpsons always go on these types of crazy adventures. Mm-hmm. Homer Simpson, I everyone who knows it, The Simpsons is my favorite show, period. Mm-hmm. It's, to me, the funniest show ever made. I didn't know that. Yeah, to me, it is, specifically for those first ten seasons, yeah. it's the funniest show ever made. I was going to say, probably not the recent seasons. But, I mean, I've watched every season. I okay. still watch it weekly. Even if it's not as good, I still just love being with those characters, and I can watch those characters interact all day. That's just how much I love the show, where it's mm-hmm. like, is it as funny as the first eight or t- ten seasons? No. But yeah. is that show just so perfectly, like, just charming and watchable for me? I love the heart that that show, and that's what Mitchell of the Machines at its core is. It's that heart connection homer simpson as much as he is aloof and that family is dysfunctional he's not the peter griffin where these people are all just terrible to each other homer simpson is a good dad like mm-hmm. he truly loves uh, yeah, his kid uh, yeah there's moments in it like the episode where yeah, peter griffin is a crap the dad. whole griffin family like they're terrible people it's family guy show. family guy sucks it's fine eh. it's like some of the seasons are funny what homer simpson does so well and it's like these moments in that reminds me of the time I did this with famous person. Yeah. Flashback. It's those moments where, like, I don't know I don't know how familiar you are with The Simpsons. I, not, not super. So there's, like, this moment in, like, season seven where he's talking about the history of, like, his life, how he got married to Marge. You know, they have the kid, Maggie. Mm-hmm. He's, like, going to leave the job. Mr. Burns realizes that he just doesn't have the ability to really make this dream come true mm-hmm. and then like burns puts on a sign that says uh uh you're here forever or something like that i forgot exactly what the sign is mm-hmm. and then he covers it uh with pictures of maggie because mm-hmm. they're like why don't you ever have pictures of maggie around that uh you know in your wallet and he's like oh i have them in the place that i need them the most and it's this moment where it cuts to it and it Aww. covers and it just says, do it for her. And it's all the pictures of Homer and Matt. Oh, that's actually really, it's such a heartfelt really moment. Sweet. And it's moments like that, that Homer does throughout now, where as, he as hits that who's... level of like Danny McBride in mm. this, that level of sweetness to the characters, but also gets to have the aloof fun yeah. that this thing captures. And in the Simpsons I would have world, never guessed that as someone who's not, who has not been involved with, Sim- I love the idea of the Simpsons. And I, I do kind of want to watch at least the first couple seasons. First 10 are some of the funniest it's the funniest TV ever put yeah. out. But yeah, so that's my answer because Springfield just answer. lends itself so naturally because you get all those supporting cast in there. Mm-hmm. It's just Springfield and The Simpsons going on that and they hit answer. the same type of energy that this movie hits. It's a good answer. Yeah, long answer, uh, but good one. Okay, so I think I've asked this question before, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I really love the idea. I Swapping characters is such an easy thing to yeah. do. Uh, I will do the inverse of your of your question okay uh worst the inverse (laughs) um oh (laughs) i see what you're saying um if you if you replaced the rope the pal robot army with any army i'll i'll do it in three phases who would the uh main robots be replaced with 
for you can like go actors like who would voice no them? like no. any other robot in any other oh, okay. thing uh who would the advanced robots be like the the cool swarm robot things the conan mm. o'brien voiced ones mm. and who would uh trade out for pal as the robot mastermind okay uh pal would be what is it, like a famous kind of intimidating it would probably they never have technically a voice behind them but it would be the concept of genesis it or sky skynet sorry Ooh, it would be the concept okay. of skynet but so you'd have to attach a voice to skynet uh-huh but i mean i mean you could just get jk simmons to do the voice of skynet yeah that, uh, <laughs> that would be great uh for the advanced one you haven't seen the show i think but it's a really good show and the guy who voices cyborg on that show is really good it's uh invincible where they get alan i've not seen the uh, show is it alan cunning coming no it's not alan coming it is uh what is his name who voices the robot who plays K2SO? Is it Alan Cummins? No, it's not Alan. Alan, Alan Cummins is the Winnie the Pooh. It's Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. Yeah. Oh, you're thinking of Jim Cummings. Yeah, I'm thinking Jim Cummings, Alan Cummings, and somebody else. And Alan... Alan Tudyk. Alan okay. Tudyk would be his character as Cyborg, more advanced, a little bit more ruthless, a little bit just really dimensional character in that. That's cool. Replace that. I'm I'm keeping Alan Tudyk. I'm just going to replace it with K2SO. <laughs> okay. It's a really fun character. <laughs> you are being I, rescued. Do not try to resist. Love K2SO in Rogue One. He's great. I, and, I just watched Rogue One again. It's freaking it's great. awesome. And then finally, if you're kind of doing the more dumb, fun robots that just, they're the comedic relief of it, you get Bender. Right? <laughs> I was Bender. Gonna, I was going to say Bender. Bender's like the ultimate, like... I think he's one of the funniest characters in television history. I think mm-hmm. every time Bender opens his mouth, it's so funny. It's, again, Mac Groening from Simpsons, but it's just like, Bender's perfect. Yeah. Bender's so funny. Kiss my shiny metal ass. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. So those are my answers. Yeah. I think they lend themselves the obviously ones that more comedic, ones a little bit more menacing and tough, and then finally the idea of Skynet is kind of what this movie's supposed to be representing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've, I've got... Um Bender, I had Bender as yeah. my... That's, it's the obvious one. Yeah. It's the obvious, but it works so well because it's the obvious. Right, exactly. Um, for the advanced for the advanced ones, I put Super Battle Droids. And I'm That's thinking specifically su- from Star Wars. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically Super Battle Droids from the Clone Wars. Where okay. there's a little bit more comedy to them. And they've got that same sort of like intimidating, dark voice like, what is going on? Yeah. That's not a bad choice. I didn't think of them at all. And I'm I didn't thinking, think of any of the And I'm Star thinking Wars of like the feature. comedy of like the straight up battle droids. But so notice we said the same thing in the sense that we both chose Bender and then we both chose Star Wars because I ended up saying K-Choice. Yeah, I guess so. And then uh, your Skynet answer ins- kind of inspired this one. I thought of another uh, program, and I don't know if you've seen this show, Xana uh, from Code Lyoko. I have not seen this show. Okay, so... It's it's similar. Xana is basically this supercomputer that wants to. Um, it's been a bit since I've seen the show. It's a really cool show, especially after season one. Season two finds its footing. Uh, Xana's basically this computer virus that wants to get into the real world, and it does so by taking over computers and infecting electronic equipment and causing it to act in these weird ways Mm. uh and 
later on in the seasons, it starts infecting like particle collider mm. compute, like central computers, and there are opportunities where it's able to send in like enemies in its virtual realm into mm-hmm. like the real life realm. Uh, and Xana's Xana's just cool. There's no voice for Xana, mm. but I think a an intimidating. I think honestly, I think Olivia Coleman could voice Xana just as easily as Pal. Uh, another another voice for Xana that might be good is like um, is it a cheat answer that I always think Catherine Hahn maybe a little bit probably uh, Catherine Hahn uh, not so much I'm thinking more of uh, oh what's her why can't I she's the white witch in uh, Lion Witch in the Wardrobe she's in oh, Doctor Strange Tilda, uh, Tilda Swinton. Swinton. Tilda Swinton. I so think that's, that a really good, that's a really good yeah, casting as, there. Yeah. That's really so, good. All right. I think that's... That's our episode, guys. So... That's it. Come back next week for Dune. The the most recent one. The we're most not, 2021. We are not watching the 80s one. We again. are going to see it this weekend. I've seen it. Branson has not. We're seeing it this weekend. Yes. Dune 2021. Tune in next week. Take care. Subscribe. Like and follow. Subscribe. <laughs> Leave us a comment. Thank you, guys. Follow we really appreciate it. LinkedIn. Nope. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Take care, guys. Peace out. Bye-bye.